0: I read a uh, book recently called The Adventurer's Handbook by Mick Confrey. And uh, this book is about famous explorers uh, from the last 100 years and how they learned to overcome the worst-case scenarios they faced and the worst-case scenarios you could ever imagine. Uh, The book climaxes. Uh, with details on how adventurers learn to survive deadly animal attacks. For instance, the book explains how to survive an attack by a charging African lion. The secret is to stand still and stare at it. I would add praying. (laughs) Uh, If you think that sounds hard, uh, you should hear the instructions for surviving an attack by an anaconda. Uh, This is a 10-step process in the book, and I'd like to share it with you, uh, just in case. Uh, This uh, adventurous Handbook uh, includes these instructions, uh, supposedly taken from a Peace Corps manual. Here are the instructions for what to do if attacked by an anaconda. Uh, If you are attacked by an anaconda, number one, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Number three, put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Number four, allow the snake to nudge and climb over your body. Uh, Number five, allow the snake uh, to examine you uh, then allow it to begin swallowing you, starting with your feet. Ready for number six? It is, do not panic. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think this one came a little too late in the process for me. Uh, number seven, allow the snake to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Number eight, When the snake has reached your knees, with as little movement as possible, reach for your knife and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of the mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine, be sure your knife is sharp. (laughs) And uh, now you're ready for step ten. Number ten. Be sure you have your knife. (laughs) Once again, I would have put this step a little earlier in the uh, list. Uh, To be honest, I love this last step because it proves that sometimes when we think that we've encountered a worst-case scenario, uh, we're wrong. Because there's actually a worst worst worst-case scenario. Uh, When I think that being attacked by an anaconda is my worst-case scenario... I'm wrong, allowing the snake to swallow me up to my knees and then realizing that I forgot my knife. This is my real worst-case scenario. Jesus taught a lesson that uh, is just like this anaconda situation. Uh, Jesus taught that sometimes when we think we've encountered a spiritual worst-case scenario, we're wrong. Because there is actually a worse worst-case scenario. Jesus teaches this lesson as part of his famous Sermon on the Mount, found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. So would you please turn your Bible uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 29. And if you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, this should be on page 684. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is famous, uh, and sometimes people characterize it, as if uh, it were just a flowery speech with lots of uh, pretty poetry about salt and light and lilies and birds. Well, this depiction is uh, ignoring the fact that most of the Sermon on the Mount is some tough language on some really uncomfortable subjects. And today, we're going to study one of the most uncomfortable parts uh, that Jesus had to say on the Mount. Uh, Found here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And you see what I mean? These are not comfortable words, but they are extremely important words about two problems and one worst-case scenario. So let's start with the two problems and then work down to the worst-case scenario, the real worst-case scenario. The first problem that Jesus identifies involves what the Bible calls sin. My first big problem is sin in my life. What is sin? Well, biblically speaking, and that's all that matters here, not what the culture says about sin, but biblically speaking, sin is whatever brings separation between me and God. This definition goes back to the first pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve with the capacity for a relationship with God Himself. And in fact, enjoying this relationship with God was what made the Garden of Eden a paradise. But God warned uh, Adam and Eve that this relationship could be broken. God said, Adam and Eve, there is one thing, only one thing. Uh, that can separate us from each other and it is called sin. And so God brought them to a tree and told them what He meant. And yet Adam and Eve rebelled against God and that sin broke the relationship. Which sin always does. Sin always brings separation between me and God. And that's why sin is related to hell. Uh... What is hell? Well, biblically speaking, hell is the permanent state of being separated from God. Hell is a place. Uh, But just like the relationship with God made Eden a paradise, it is separation from God that makes hell a hellish experience. Which means that hell is not just a place. Hell is also a spiritual condition. Hell is a state of separation that can be experienced in this life. Letting sin into my life is letting some degree of separation between me and God into my life. And letting separation from God into my life is letting a little bit of what hell, what makes hell hell into my life. But you may be uh, asking, why? Why? Uh, Why does sin separate me from God? Why does sin bother God so much? The answer comes down to who God is. In Scripture, God reveals that He is all good, all pure, and the perfect source of life and everything that is good in life. Evil is the opposite of God. Evil is deformity and death, and impurity. Evil is the absence of God's good. And because God is the opposite of evil, God cannot coexist with evil. And you may say, well, why doesn't God just get over it? Why can't God just decide not to let sin bother Him so much? God can't decide to tolerate sin because his separation from evil isn't a matter of decision. It is a matter of fact. It, for instance, I mean, uh, I can't, if I have a cancer in my body that is threatening my life, I can't just decide that cancer is not lethal to me. Because it's not a matter of decision. It's a matter of fact. In the same way, God can't just decide to get along with sin. It is the nature of God to bring life. It's the nature of sin to bring death. And so to the degree I allow sin, the Bible's definition of sin, into my life, to that degree I welcome a lethal agent that separates me and disrupts and interrupts my relationship with God. And so Jesus says, don't allow it. (laughs) Don't allow sin in your life. And when Jesus talks about sin, he is not vague. Jesus gives examples of what he is talking about. If you look earlier in the, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, you see that Jesus reviews some of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus reviews God's roadmap for relationships, the six horizontal commands uh, that we've been studying here the past six weeks. Jesus says, murder is a sin. But so is hating someone in my mind or assassinating their character through gossip. Jesus says that hitting someone is a sin, but so is using words to hurt or intimidate or manipulate people. Jesus says that adultery is sin, but so is desiring a person who is not my spouse or breaking my marriage vows in my heart or my mind. In other places, Jesus says that being greedy with money is a sin. That being stingy with giving to God's work is a sin. That ignoring the pain of the poor is a sin. That being ungrateful for the blessings God gives is a sin. That worrying and not trusting God is a sin. And refusing to forgive others is a sin. And refusing to share God's love with others is a sin. Lying, jealousy, rage, temper, selfishness. Jesus says all these These things are sin and bring some degree of separation, interrupt my fellowship with me and God. Having sin in my life is a big problem, but it is not my worst case scenario. What is my worst case scenario? That's coming. Uh, But first, let's go uh, to the second big problem. Before we get to the worst case scenario, the second big problem in my life is The cause of sin. Problem number two is the cause of sin in my life. Did you notice this key word in uh, the text here in Matthew chapter 5? It is the word cause. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. A careful listening to what Jesus says here reveals that an even bigger problem than sin in my life is having the cause of sin in my life. Jesus says a sin act or a sin word is a problem that comes from a bigger problem. Uh, The bigger problem is what causes sin in my life. And unfortunately... Many of us are foolish here. Many of us are foolish in this regard. We're foolish because we focus all our attention on our sin acts in our lives uh, and never address the deeper cause of our sin. And this is really destructive because many of us focus on our sins in ways that result in mounting guilt. And this guilt separates us from God in a relationship with God. And this just gets worse and worse. We never get victory over the sin, and we just keep drifting more and more from God because of this mounting guilt. And this is because we're ignoring the cause. I'll never overcome sin that separates me from God I'll never find freedom from guilt unless I go beyond a focus on my sin and go to the bigger problem, which is the underlying cause of my sin. And this is where Jesus is uh, stressing these uh, dramatic words about gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand. Jesus is using shocking language to scream out a message. A message that true life and relationship with God depends on getting to the cause of my sin and doing whatever is necessary to remove it. And let me just pause now and answer the nagging question about eye gouging and hand amputating. The nagging question is, does Jesus advocate self-mutilation here? Of course not. Jesus is not talking about literally gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand. And the reason we know this is true, the reason we know Jesus is not talking on a literal basis here, is because it's obvious that an eye never caused anyone to sin. A hand never caused anyone to sin. It's ridiculous to think that eyes and hands cause people to sin. And Jesus just makes this absurdity extra clear by painting this goofy picture of a person who has one bad eye and one bad hand. Jesus paints this absurd picture of a guy with a sinful, rogue eye that is always causing him to sin. And one. Rogue right hand that is always getting this guy in trouble. Uh, I remember as a kid uh, watching a uh, black and white uh, horror movie of a man who lost his hand in an accident and somehow got an evil hand uh, attached to his wrist. And uh, this cursed hand had a mind of its own. Uh, Throughout the movie, the guy kept having to reach out and uh, grab his uh, right hand that was uh, continually doing bad things like choking his wife. And uh, and throughout the movie, the evil uh, hand is always making these slow moves toward his uh, wife's throat. And then the good hand has to stop at the last moment. But in this movie, uh, this guy's wife was so annoying, you couldn't help but root for the evil hand to finish her (laughs) off. Anyway, uh, when it comes to uh, Jesus' words about cutting off a hand, uh, you don't need to do it. uh, Unless, of course, you have one of those horror movie cursed hand things happening to you. In which case, you should cut it off. uh, Because uh, uh, it's better to lose your hand than to go to jail for choking an annoying person to death, right? That's Jesus' point. Jesus is using the absurdity of this rogue eye or uncontrollable hand uh, to make the same point. Jesus is saying that sin is so destructive that you must eliminate the cause no matter how painful it is. Every sin has a deeper cause. And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says that the cause of a sin is not the eye, it's not a hand, it is the heart. And Jesus then goes on to teach that the reason my heart leads me to sin is because sometimes my heart believes lies. Uh, Jesus teaches that all deeper cause of all sin is a lie. Uh, We don't all believe the same lies, uh, but all sin comes from the same place. It comes from lies. The root cause of every sin is belief in a lie about myself or about God. Once again, we see this principle in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God because they believed the serpents lie about themselves and about God. For Adam and Eve, the lie was that God was not working to their best interests. Uh, The lie was that God was withholding something good when he forbid them from eating uh, from the tree of good and evil. The serpent's lie was that disobeying God would make Adam and Eve more powerful and more fulfilled. The same is true for us. Behind every sin is a cause. And behind every sin cause is a lie. For instance, uh, if the sin in my life is worry, I need to get to the cause by asking myself, what lie am I believing? Behind the worry sin is my, the lie that I'm believing that God isn't involved in my life, that God doesn't care, that God doesn't have good things in mind for me, and so I need to live in fear. If the sin in my life is addiction to work, I need to get to the cause. Behind my work addiction is the lie that I am not lovable unless I am successful. That my net worth in this world is the same as my net income. If my sin in life is gossip, I need to get to the cause. Behind my gossip sin is a lie that putting others down raises my stock up. If my sin is uh, being stingy with God's work, I need to confront the lie and that my ability to make money is mine and that everything that I earn is to spend on me. Uh, If my sin is drunkenness or a shopping addiction or TV addiction, I need to get to the cause. Behind it is the lie that The God-shaped hole in my life can be filled with booze or entertainment or material things. You get the idea. You must get to the lie at the heart of your sin. We all believe different lies. So, what lie do you believe? The heart of my sin struggle is always my heart. And although my heart's tendency is to believe lies, and that is a big problem, it is not the worst case scenario in my life. So what is the worst case scenario? According to Jesus, the worst case scenario in my life is when I adopt a lifestyle of passivity toward my sin and its cause in my life. Having sin in my life may seem like a worst-case scenario, but it is not. Believing the lies that, that form a sin cause in my life may seem like a worst-case scenario, but it is not. Sin is not the worst-case scenario in my life because God offers forgiveness for sin. The cause of sin in my life, uh, that lie is not the worst case scenario because in this hand-eye metaphor Jesus uses, he is saying that the cause of sin uh, can be cut off or gouged out. According to Jesus, the worst case scenario in my life is when I become passive toward my sin and its causes because passivity means that my sin goes unforgiven. Because passivity means that the lies that cause my sin go unexposed. Because passivity means that I fail to cut off the cause of sin. And this passivity means that a separation grows between me and God. And this is the worst case scenario. Jesus is teaching this in our text. Jesus is teaching me that passivity toward sins that separate me from God is infinitely worse than losing an eye or a hand. Infinitely worse than anything you can imagine on a physical level. Jesus is teaching that separation from God is hell. It is the worst thing that can happen to anyone. The question becomes... Do you believe Jesus about this? Do you believe this? Do you? It's a simple question about a simple choice. The Apostle Paul follows Jesus with this same message. Uh, Listen to how Paul frames the simple choice in Romans chapter 2. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory Honor and immortality. God will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger, separation from God. Some things in life are simple. Some things in life are a simple choice and there's no gray area to God. Sin is one of those areas, one of those simple choices. Through Paul, God says, you have a choice to make. Choose to follow my truth, which leads to life, or choose to follow life-destructing lies in your heart. To be passive about this is unfortunately to make a choice. To be passive is the same as choosing lies that introduce hellish separation into your relationship with God. To be passive is to choose the worst case scenario in your life. Right now, God is calling you to make the choice to rise up out of passivity and actually confront what is Interrupting your all-important relationship with Him. God is calling you to take action against the sin that threatens this all-important relationship. If you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin, then this is, of course, where you must start. You must choose to start your relationship with God by saying something like this to God. God, I'm separated from You by my sin. I don't want to be. And so... I want to choose Jesus. I choose to believe in you, Jesus, and what you did on the cross for me and find forgiveness based on that and that alone. If you are a Christ follower already, then you have been saved for all eternity from hell, the place. Hell, the place. But to the degree that you are passive about sin and its causes, To that degree, you are allowing an interruption into your fellowship with God. And if you're a Christ follower, God is calling you to emerge from passivity and to take action on these words from Job chapter 11, which says, If you devote your heart to God... And stretch out your hands to him. If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your house, then you will lift up your face without shame, and you will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. You see, I've been talking about sin today. But nobody needs to leave here feeling guilty or ashamed or unclean before God. I repeat, nobody, nobody needs to leave these words that I've been saying today feeling guilty. Right now, if you stretch your hands out toward God, you will leave here free from the shame and fear, and trouble that comes from sin. God invites you to stretch out your hands to receive His forgiveness. Uh, in First John chapter 1, verse 9, God promises that if you confess, you agree with God about your sin and its causes, God is faithful and just, and He will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is is how we gouge out and cut off sin in and its causes in our lives. This is how you reverse the worst-case scenario in your life. You stretch out your hands to God and release the sins and release the lies that you have been believing. You stretch out your hands and then you receive God's forgiveness, the truth of forgiveness that comes in Jesus. You stretch out your hands to God in a way that turns your worst-case scenario Scenario into the best decision you could ever make right now. The best way to live, the maximum joy that comes in a relationship with God by stretching out your hands, releasing, repenting, and then receiving God's forgiveness and this all important relationship with God that leads to the true Eden like paradise. In your relationship with Him. Let's pray. Uh, No one should do anything that they feel uncomfortable uh, doing, but I am struck by this biblical idea of stretching out your hands to God. And so if you're open to this, I'd like to ask you just to lay your hands open on your lap. Uh, Just lay your hands open to God on your lap or stretch them out in front of you. Uh, And whether you do this physically or not, uh, would you please, whatever you do, don't be passive about this. Stretch out your hands to God and release uh, whatever it is that uh, God has been talking to you about. And that interrupts your close relationship with God. Just stretch out your hands again after you've released and after you've repented and then receive His forgiveness. Receive His cleansing in Jesus. And as you do, just remember these words from Job. As you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hands to Him, then you will lift up your face without shame and you will stand firm and without fear surely you will forget your trouble recalling it only as waters gone by step beyond passivity would you please stand now as we close oh god thank you for this all important message that you desire a relationship with us and that this relationship makes all the difference in our world, that this makes the difference in our lives between the best-case scenario and the worst-case scenario. Would You lead us by taking us from a spirit of passivity into a spirit of desire for You that we would devote ourselves to removing anything that interrupts our relationship with You as we receive Your power in Jesus Christ and the mercy that comes only through His name. And we pray it all in that name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. See you next time.